Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on, man? Oh, just uh, living the dream, trying to get through the dog days of September. Are you ready for uh, the World Series? Not this year, not in no. Kansas City. No, probably have to go somewhere else for that. You know, before we get started, I, uh, as you can see on my show notes, what do you think they want me to mention here? Why don't you mention it? Well, did you know this podcast is brought to you by FullScale.io? Did you? <laughs> Thank you, Matt. We help people build software development teams quickly. And efficiently, efficiently, affordably, affordably. Yeah. 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 Thank you. And, and by the way, I'm going to start thanking people at the beginning of the episode. So thank you to the snow pops people. Yes. With the, I might be drunk later today. (laughs) Did they freeze up? I should have had some of those before. We should go get some right now. No, no. No? Matt, first off, it's 1030 in the morning. You can't drink all day if you don't start early. Oh my God. Welcome to Startup Hustle, yeah, Tammy. Thank you. So I, I will go ahead and introduce... Perks of being the boss, right? I will right? go ahead and introduce Tammy. Tam- I didn't sign the employee handbook. Hey, stop. It's Tammy time. Okay. We're going to talk to Tammy Wayhouse. So you is, need one. Oh, my God. Snow pops <laughs> for her. <laughs> I'm sorry. Are you done? Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest now. This is what happens when I when we get out of, when we when we get off format. So anyway, we're here with Tammy Wayhouse today. She is the CEO of Elias Animal Health. Now you know I love it when you are interactive. So go to EliasAnimalHealth.com. That's E L I A S AnimalHealth.com. Hi Tammy. Hi Matt. How are you? I'm good. But now when you say hi Matt, you have to be careful because we both could have said hello. I was hoping that she you would, would both say hello. She was talking to you, but looking at me. We so. like the ambiguity. Yeah. <laughs> Matt is awesome. Yes. It makes it a lot Matt easier. Matt is a good podcast host. This is true. Both Matt's. No, I no, well just one of them. You know what's funny too is is owning a business with someone that has your same name, we can't be Matt at fullscale.io. Oh, what do you go by? Well, I'm Deco. It's, it's just a short version of my last name or Watson. So now everyone knows our email address and make yeah. sure to email Watson at fullscale.io with all of the questions that you would like us to address here on the show. Absolutely. But one question we can start with is related to your business. And you've got uh, today we're going to be talking about animal health startups. So tell us all about it. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, so Elias Animal Health is a life sciences company that was uh, spun out of a human health company called TVAX Biomedical. We have the rights to uh, technology that we're developing to treat cancer in dogs. It's the same technology that's being used uh, as a uh, treatment for humans. So uh, it's kind of a one health approach to treating cancer. Many people don't know that cancer is a big problem in dogs. There are over 6 million dogs diagnosed with cancer each year. So it's a large unmet medical need. Um, The veterinary market hasn't had uh, new products brought to market for uh, cancer treatment in over 20 years. Interesting. So 
um, are the types of cancer the same or do you treat them the same as you do in humans? Like, do they do radiation and like stuff like that? Or like, how do you? Yeah. Interestingly, uh, in the last 10 years, uh, veterinary oncology has been growing significantly as a, um, like as a certification, if you're a, a licensed veterinarian, you can go through additional training and seek licensure to be a licensed oncologist. Uh, they ha- also have licensed radiologists. So a dog diagnosed with cancer uh, will go see the veterinarian who will get refer- who then get referred to a veterinary oncologist who will then study the situation, determine what the stage of disease is, just like in humans. Um, and then recommend a course of treatment, which today, and until uh, we get out there into the marketplace in a much bigger way, uh, today dogs are offered chemotherapy and radiation. Many times uh, they're only provided uh, surgery to remove uh, the, the tumor. In, in a lot of cases, they're actually only offered palliative care, which means keep them comfortable until euthanasia is necessary. So our approach is to change that. We want to replace euthanasia for sure. Um, We want to replace chemotherapy. It has uh, similar side effects in dogs as it does in humans. Um, And pet owners don't like to make that choice for their dog to have to go through a chemotherapy regimen. So I was going to save this for later, but this is relevant now. So there's clearly... um, quite a bit of backing for what you're doing. Your company's raised $5.3 million in funding. And like, I I was going to save that for a little later, but like, I think that that, um, you know, throwing that out there now, like, you know, that that's clearly someone is believing in what you guys are doing from an investment standpoint, that's not a small sum of money. And, you know, as far as like the actual net, the thing I'm I'm wondering is, and you mentioned something about, you know, Matt asked about, is the treatment the same? Is this cancer the same? Is this also like a precursor for certain types of, of human treatments? Yeah, we actually, uh, when we look at the, the canine uh, situation or the dog situation, they do have many of the same cancers that human has, that humans have. It occurs in, you know, different proportions in dogs. For example, um, B-cell lymphoma is one of the top canine cancers. Uh, Osteosarcoma, bone cancer, is one of the top canine cancers. It's also interesting when you look at dogs, uh, cancer types do tend to be more prevalent in certain breeds. So if you look at a breed, you may see that it has a prevalence for B-cell lymphoma, a prevalence for osteosarcoma. Those tend to be the larger dogs. Yeah, I had, a, had uh, my neighbor when I lived in Indianapolis had a St. Bernard and it had bone cancer. Yeah. And it didn't live very long. I no, mean, it was like five, it was like five years old or something. And it was, it was really heartbreaking because, you know, the dog was fine. And then like a year later, not. Well, not, yeah. so one thing I, I'm really intrigued about, and I'm intrigued about this in humans too, is have dogs always had cancer and we just didn't know it? Or is it just more diagnosed now? Or is it more of a new phenomenon? And this is the thing I think about with humans too. Like, did humans not have cancer? And then like 30 years ago, we did something and now we all get cancer. Like, I, that's what I always wonder about, even with like dogs. Meaning, yeah. meaning like you not even 30 years ago, but like 3000 years ago. Like, did people have cancer well, is and, it something we right, eat right. now that causes cancer? And then like a hundred years ago, nobody ate, you know, that 
we, we didn't <laughs> soak all of our wheat with pesticide, but now we do. So we eat all this pesticide right. and we all get cancer. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's part yeah. of what I wonder about in life, yeah. right? Like, yeah, a lot what, of... did, did people get cancer before? Did dogs get cancer before? So cancer tends to be a disease of aging. So if you go back 3,000 years, how long did people live? How long mm. did dogs live? Um, a much shorter lifespan. And and so... They didn't get old enough to get cancer. Yeah. That's a good point. So I that's, never really they thought got about that. by a bigger dog. Yeah. So you're like... In, <laughs> or a bear. Like, yeah. Well, you look, you look back at like human life expectancy and... Or a dinosaur. I mean, we would be old men and... We... Yeah. Yeah, you. You, even yeah. you, buddy. You. Even yeah. you, buddy, because you know there was in that, your, this life in your thirties. Yeah, life expectancy is in mid thirties. I'm in my and, prime. Oh man, yes. So there, there, we believe uh, that there is also a little bit more to the story. Uh, you ask, is it just more diagnosed? Um, and and we believe that is true. Um, you know, you look back over the uh, few, last few hundred years. Um, the ability in humans to diagnose uh, cancer, to even understand what was the cause of death, has um, improved significantly over the last few hundred years. And then in dogs, you know, the focus has, um, you know, if you think in the last 50 years ago, maybe your grandparents um, owned a dog or your great grandparents owned a dog. And where did that dog live? He lived outside. His job was outside. Uh, and um, in in the last, you know, 50 years, certainly the last 30 years, dogs have come indoors and they have become our fur kids. Yeah. And so we spend a lot more time with them and we are far more observant of what's happening. We notice lumps and bumps. We notice limps um, and the access to veterinary care has increase significantly. And so we take them to be seen by a veterinarian to find out why is fluffy limping. Um, so I, I think there are a lot of things that, that factor in, uh, it is also likely that it is environmental, you know, they have come indoors and so they're now living and breathing and eating much of the same things we are. Which are highly toxic in the United States. Yeah. It seems, but so I think it's a combination. Uh, yeah. So I was always, I'm just always curious about cancer rates in general. But so back to what your company does. So you guys developed the technology to do the cancer treatments, right? You don't actually do the treatments yourself. That's right? correct. We're the manufacturer. So you develop. So is this treatment, is it, is it a drug or what would you yeah, call it's it called exactly? A, it's called a biologic. Okay. okay. Explain that. Yeah. So it is it, our treatment. We actually... Uh, are using live cells. So that's a biological item, right? Cells are biological. Our particular treatment, we, it is actually a two-step process. We, uh, our goal is to leverage the immune system. So we're doing this for rheumatoid arthritis and other things in humans now, right? Yeah, they do stem cell, you know, applications. Mm -hmm. And so ours is sort of along those same lines. It's mm -hmm. not the same, but it's along those same lines. And we first, our belief is, and then what we're proving out in clinical trials is that the immune system has the capacity to recognize cancer. Cancer essentially is a mutation of a normal cell. So the immune system typically doesn't attack self, right? 
unless you have autoimmune disease. So cancer has a unique way of eluding the immune system. Right. I, my, I'm a cancer cell. I look a little bit different, but not enough different that you attack me. So it just works behind the scenes, continues to grow and expand until it becomes a problem. And so the biologic knows how to target that or? Yeah. What we actually do is we take the cancer tissue from the patient. So this is a very personalized medicine, okay. which is very unique in dogs, um, unique in humans, but extremely unique in dogs. Um, we take the cancer tissue, manufacture a vaccine, and what does a vaccine do? The theory is mm -hmm. with a vaccine, you are educating the immune system that this item I'm sending in in the vaccine is bad. So immune system, please be alerted. When you see this thing, attack. Wow. Right? So, so, you we have, do so you have to do surgery on the dog, get the cancer tissue, Yep. take it back to your lab, to your manufacturing facility, whatever you would call that, right? Yeah. And then manufacture a one-off drug for that one animal. animal. Wow. That is correct. So that's step one. That sounds one. expensive. I was just yeah, thinking the yeah. same we'll, thing. We'll, let's, let's finish the theory and then we'll talk about yeah. uh, the cost. So, so that's step one. We have told the immune system now by the delivery of that vaccine product that this is bad. This cancer cell, when you see it, you should recognize that it should not be here. But the immune system is uh, unable at that point in time to really mount a successful defense. Vaccines are preventative, right? We don't cure polio by giving someone who has polio a vaccine, right? It's preventative. It's telling the immune system, watch out for these things. But the problem with cancer is there's too many cells on board already for the immune system to fully function on its own. So after we get the immune system primed with the vaccine, then we have the patient uh, go through a leukapheresis process, which is just the collection of mononuclear cells or like a blood donation. Um, collect those cells that have been primed or educated as to what that cancer looks like. Bring that into our lab, expand the numbers and fully activate them so that when they're delivered back to the patient in an infusion, so now we've done a vaccine and now we're doing an infusion, then that's a killer T-cell army that's going to go in and attack the cancer wherever it sees it. So it's coming in through the bloodstream. It's moving through the body, looking for uh, metastatic cancers wherever they may be. So how does this work compared to like chemotherapy or radiation? What do those do? Yeah. So chemotherapy and radiation typically this is highly are, educational today. Right. Yeah, no doubt. Are, are indiscriminate. Kill all cells. Yeah. That's what, I, yeah. It's like literally taking you down to nothing. Right. That's why the patient's so weakened. And then it's like, they're just, I think the they're just basically hoping you d that it doesn't grow back. Right. Right. So, so chemotherapy, the typically the way chemotherapy works is it kills all rapidly dividing cells. That's what cancer is a rapidly dividing cell that has a mutation on it. That's what your hair is a rapidly dividing cell. No, this is why, why we lose our hair. There you go. So I want to, I want to go way back now. So now we understand like what you guys are doing, but in discussing animal health startups. So like, you know, at some point you were nowhere near where uh, everything you just described, right? <laughs> right. I, I I'm mean, a finance I, person. Yeah. Right. I, I was going to ask, <laughs> I was going to ask what your background was because you're clearly quite educated on the subject. And I would hope as the CEO of the company that, 
you learned a couple of things along the way. But when we go way back in your timeline, like you mentioned that this was a spinoff or like a, a split off of another biotech company. Correct. So were you involved in that company too? I was. In 2011, I got involved with the human health company that has this technology, uh, which was developed at the University of Kansas and then brought out into a company for the purposes of developing it further and bringing so were, it. Were they, building, were they building this solution or developing this solution for people? They were. Okay. So this is an iteration of the same thing. Right. Now, is the is the people version, is that in play somewhere? Is it in clinical trials or doing anything like that? If we're actually raising money for the human health company right now to launch a uh, brain cancer clinical trial. Okay. Uh, and so are you involved in that company too? I am involved in that company. Oh, mm -hmm. what's it called? TVEX Biomedical. So isn't okay. there another company here called TEVA? Uh, Teva. So that's a different, these that's are different companies? That's a completely companies? different company. Okay. Yep. Okay. Okay. Also in pharmaceuticals. Yeah. yeah. That's why it's confused. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well, first off, Rock Chalk, Go Jayhawks. Yeah. yeah. Always like it when-, when Well, you talk about animal health uh, startups, like the whole Midwest right around here is real big in agriculture, right. and animal health, and biosciences. and Yeah. We're in the perfect place, uh, the animal health corridor. Uh, but it's, you know, we hear that term animal health corridor and let's actually like take a second and define that because yeah, sure. this is probably like the fourth or fifth episode. I mean, even like Kevin Lockett and the, and the, you know, the ag tech mm -hmm. venture fund that he's working with was mentioning the animal health corridor. So, um, you know, here in Kansas, there's a lot of agriculture and that with that, it's not just growing wheat, it's often animals as well. Right. Is that, is that just, is that the reason that this started or is there another is there a university? Is there some kind of medical research center or something? Or like, why are we the animal health corridor here in Kansas City? Well, part, partly because we decided to be. Okay. <laughs> it's Cowtown, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the animal health corridor runs, theoretically runs from the University of Missouri in Columbia. Okay. All the way out to Kansas State University. Okay. And at both of those universities, you have large agricultural uh, focus. So you have your production animals. You have a large, uh, you have veterinary medical schools. Um, University of Missouri also has a, uh, a human medical school as well. You get all the way to St. Louis and we got Monsanto. You do have. And when you look at, when you look at. Just, yeah. When you they look they at, might be causing some of the cancer. Yeah, they might. That's a whole nother, whole nother conversation. But yeah, just back to this, this area, right? You go all the way to St. Louis, just a little further. Yeah. You've got home to Monsanto. Well, and if you look at the, uh, I, I don't have the exact number, but if you look at the number of animal health companies and agricultural companies that are represented in this region, they have facilities here, manufacturing facilities or corporate offices or sales organizations. It's, it's a large percentage. I believe it's over one third of the worldwide assets in agriculture and animal health are represented here in this region. So we have this fantastic group of individuals that are knowledgeable of issues that are knowledge in, in the agriculture and, and life sciences for veterinary medicine. Um, we have lots of veterinarians. We have lots of researchers. And then, of course, you have NBAF, which is coming in, which is um, going to bring even more researchers. And what is that again? Uh, the National Bioagro-Defense Facility. Okay. Wow. I didn't even know all this stuff was going on. So I would guess a lot of this loops up to like Iowa State, Iowa, Omaha, Nebraska. 
right? Further kind of loops I, into all of this. Me right? personally, I, I look at a, at this region very broadly. I because sure. you've got a, you've got a vet med school in Iowa as well. Um, the universe, uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture um, Center for Veterinary Biologics is headquartered in Ames, Iowa. That's why. I so my regulator yep. is just up the road. So all right. So there has to be a lot of animal health startups that have popped up here in the region because of that. Um, now, are there other people that are working on similar solutions or other things that um, are doing similar stuff or even working with you to try to, you know, like when I think about curing cancer, it's like one of those things It's like, you know, like you would like everyone to join arms and like move forward in the same direction. I'm positive. That's not the way it's working. Not but, in a capitalist society. It's right. not exactly that way. Right. right. Yeah. And so that's what I'm curious about is like, you know, as that environment for, for a cure, then, like I said, in, in the, uh, there's idealism and there's realism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in the ideal world, we all link arms and, you know, like form this mega force and move forward and crush cancer. And then in reality, we're probably quite secretive and trying to beat the other person. The investors the don't like that idea. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just curious, like, is that, um, is that, is that the way that it is? So, uh, we have linked arms certainly with the veterinary oncology community. Uh, they're our primary customer. Okay. Uh, we, it's a small community. There are about 425 licensed veterinary oncologists around the world. We probably know every single one of you them. You said 425 in the world? In the world. So that's, and to break that down into, into, into plain English, that means there are barely over 400 dog cancer doctors in the world. That That's are that have that license certification. You also have a, a group of internists or internal medicine certified uh, veterinarians who have also been treating cancer. Okay. Uh, I mean, that's not a lot. That's not many. Small market. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so from an investor point of view, we kind of shift here to talk about how did I raise five million dollars uh, to run the clinical trials and and. What it, what are the milestones that is my that investors... the, is the use of funds strictly like <laughs> clinical trials? So it has in the early years, yes. So the first dollars that we spent was actually on a market study. What is the size of the market? Um, and, and we raised a small amount of money in the first year back in two thousand fourteen fifteen, and conduct and hired an independent market agency uh, or market research firm to go out and find out how big is this market? Because, <clears throat> pardon me, in uh, animal health, uh, you don't have access to the kind of data that you have in human health. Um, is that where you guys, is that where you came up with the number of 6 million dogs? Yeah, so Morris Animal Foundation uh, did a study and came up with 6 million dogs. In our study, we were more focused on what kinds of cancer and even more focused on which dogs are being treated. Okay. So it's one thing, if you're an investor, great that there are 6 million dogs diagnosed. I want to know how many are you going to be able to sell this product to? And that gets to your question earlier on, you know, how much does this cost? Is personalized medicine really expensive? And it's clearly one of the first things we had to look at. And yes, it is more expensive than a rabies vaccine, uh, but there are, a high percentage of pet owners. Well, let me rephrase that. There, there is a group of pet owners that want to treat their dog 
for cancer. There is also a group of pet owners that aren't going to treat their dog. Either it's just not what they believe in, they don't have the financial resources to do it, they aren't close enough to a, a vet med center that even has the capability. Not everybody can offer the treatments that are available, so you got to be yeah. close. So what does it typically cost? So we've entered the market. Uh, so to treat a dog with chemotherapy and radiation, which is what historically has been available, you can spend $10,000. I mean, that it depends. It's all relative, man. Yeah, you, yeah. You, it depends. If you want to fix the dog. And there are enough people that do want to fix the dog. Yeah. That we well, can and pet insurance is becoming a, a thing now, so you can get pet insurance that yeah. would potentially pay for this. It is. Today, 5% of dogs are covered by pet insurance. Wow. We believe that that number and, and the- There's a, talk about there's animal a whole health. industry. There's a company here in Kansas City called Companion Protect. That's yep. what they do, right? Yeah. So, yeah. big company here. It's a really here. growing yeah. market. And Shout out to them. Right? I, I, last, I was at an event last night with some people from <laughs> Companion Protect. Yeah. Big yeah. company here. Yep. Yeah. Growing fast. I didn't realize 5% of dogs and cats were Covered. were insured. Yeah. That's an interesting product. You know, I've had a lot of conversation with them about it. And so just like that, that whole coverage, because, you know, you talk about the, the understanding and the learning because it's, you know, we're talking about dogs, but dogs aren't, that's not just that broad because some dogs, like you said, are, are affected by, well, we, you know, especially with the, the purebred nature of right. certain dogs. I mean, you, you're talking about like we have intentionally kept a gene pool closed. And some of those dogs, you know, really suffer from a lot of issues. They're like, all look, second cousins. Well, yeah, pretty much. I mean, you look at like, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of recessive traits that haven't come out of the gene pool. And, and you know, how do you, uh, you know, that was one of the things that I, I talked to the folks at Companion about was, you know, some dogs are going to live a healthy vibrant life and some are like really prone to like a lot of issues yeah. and it's always the purebreds so like like the german shepherd and hip problems and just mm -hmm. different stuff you know we had uh french bulldogs at one point and you know they they are snorty farty little dogs that have like a lot of issues um just because of the way that they've been bred they right. have, like developed spinal issues and just weird stuff where you know, if you have maybe a mixed breed dog, then I mean, seemed some of them that seem to be really active and do well. So interesting, though, the mixed breeds also turn up with cancer. Yeah, I bet. Mm -hmm. So now, is there? And thanks for the background on the animal health corridor. I wasn't, you know, wasn't. Uh, so technically, you are. Is this an ag tech? So this is a, a on some level. Uh, it's biotech. Can, but, yeah, yeah, it's biotech. We call it, they're sort of divided into ag tech, which is mostly plant. Okay. And then you've got uh, production animal, which is obviously cattle and And that's poultry. still ag tech. And, and then you've got companion animal. Okay. Which okay. still kind of falls under that, you know, broad umbrella. So, so how many dogs are there in the United States? What's the estimate of that? Close to 90 million dogs in the U.S. A lot. Wow. And what about cats? Uh, also close to 90 million. Now you do, and you, you guys are dog specific right now. We're focused on dogs. That is, uh, when we look at where's the market, mm -hmm. um, dog is the larger market. Um, and so we focus there. 
Interestingly, when we started, we came, of, co of course, came out of a human health company. And so we have uh, uh, one lens that we're looking through, which is focused on one health and how can, <clears throat> how dogs actually are a great um, model, if you will, for how a treatment would function if you were to put it into humans. Okay. And so the theory was if we can cure cancer in dogs, uh, in other, in multiple cancer types, and that's, what's exciting about our product is we're not restricted to just a single type of cancer. Whereas most of the, uh, chemotherapies <clears throat> only work in one type of cancer or, you know, other types of biologics are so specific that they only work on one type of cancer. Ours is, uh, because of the way we manufacture it, uh, ours is actually applicable to multiple types of cancer. So we so, started with bone. So has your treatment actually <laughs> like, and this is a, I mean, maybe too broad of a question, but has it actually worked in the regard that like, here's cancer and now it's gone? Yeah. I mean, wow. Yeah. I'll just, let the silence go there for a second. Well, sure. And like I said, that. I know that's kind of, I mean, and, and congratulations, but yeah. I mean, and, and, and so, you know, I can talk about that. Okay, sure. I didn't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I didn't want to get too deep into it, no, but no, you know, fine. I mean, so I'm assuming that, that it's much easier to get these things into action in the field for a dog than it is for a person. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, I mean, there's just not the same kind of regulation, right? But there is some. Oh, there's a lot of regulation on dogs as well. The the um, yeah, the FDA regulates some companion animal products. The USDA regulates other companion animal okay. products. We happen to be in the USDA's purview uh, with this particular product, um, and you know they they have an obligation just like in humans to ensure uh, the safety of what's being applied to the animals. Um, so, you know, we started and said, we're going to focus on bone cancer. That is a devastating disease for dogs. They have a very short lifespan once diagnosed, yeah. as you were mentioning yeah, earlier. Right. If, if all you do is surgery, they might live uh, three months, maybe five months. If you do surgery plus chemotherapy, they might live six to nine months. Uh, and so we said, we believe this is a great place for us to start because if we can show an impact, we're going to show an impact fast. Okay. So we started in bone cancer. We ran a clinical study with uh, the one of the universities here by University of Missouri Vet Med Center. Um, and in that study, there were 10 dogs that, that were newly diagnosed with cancer. So these are dogs that walked in to the vet hospital, diagnosed with cancer, sought treatment. Uh, 10 of those dogs uh, completed our full protocol. Five of those dogs are still living today and are considered long-term survivors. Wow. Very cool. That's yeah. So we're very, very careful in life sciences, you know, be careful of the cure word. Sure. Um, but in that population of dogs, we did have um, several instances where we can confirm that the disease was starting to take hold. And then our treatment was able to reverse that back around. That's crazy. Congratulations. That's cool. That's awesome. and, and, you know, we, so how long have these clinical trials been going on? We started our clinical trials in 2015. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And we've worked really closely with uh, the USDA Center for Veterinary Biologics. So do you have some that you did treatments in 2015 and they're still cancer-free? We have dogs that are well over two years. Wow. Very cool. Survivors, which in dog years, 14. 
Yeah. And in humans, if a human survives their cancer more than five years, they're considered cured. Hmm. So we have uh, 50% of the dogs in that study were uh, long-term survivors and still living today. We, we continue to follow them. So and that's got to be kind of hard to measure too, because, all right, so I mentioned my neighbor's dog was a St. Bernard. That's not a dog that has a long lifespan. I mean, they don't live that long. I mean, even when they're considered to be healthy, they're just... 10 to 12 years is a long time. Max, yeah. And Some dogs live 15 years? Well, yeah. I mean, like small dogs, some will be 15, 17. Now, I had a, I had a big dog. I had a, a pit bull chow mix that lived to be 15 years old and, uh, you know, did well and just one day just kind of fell over and died. I mean, it was sad, but I mean, he had lived a long, yeah. long life and never had any kind of issue or any kind of cancer or anything like that. Now, it, but when you look at the results and you say, well, this dog that had bone cancer lived, um, you talk about dog years and stuff like that. Um, is two years the mark? Like if they've gone two years, is that now considered like maybe this is gone and they're cured? Well, if they make it to two years, we pretty much feel like they are not going to die of this cancer. Okay. Okay. So, so now, you know, all businesses and all startups and all entrepreneurs go through a series of failure and frustration. What are some of the things that are, that are the most frustrating or the failures that, you know, you look back at and think, man, you know, we really learned a lot from that or we can learn from that. And I don't know. Help others. (laughs) Sure. And I'm thinking like, you know, I mentioned before we started recording, sometimes we talk about the things that we fail at. Well, any type of, you're, you're, these are experiments. So there's, I mean, they're, ripe with failure. That's actually, you maybe even want to fail faster so you can get that stuff out of the way and try something new. But, um, I got to feel like there's some kind of roadblocks or things that you look at and you go, man, you know, get out of the way. Yeah. And I think it's probably something related to regulation or something along those lines. I mean, what's the, what's the thing that you wish you could just kick down and get out of the way? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> and, and, and by the way, if you want to see Tammy roll her eyes, you can check out the Startup Hustle YouTube channel. We'll be, uh, we'll be, it, yeah. The we'll, list is we'll have we'll have a version of this up there, but yeah, the list is long. Um, we, you know, it, it, raising money is hard. Um, Amen. Setting milestones that you can achieve within the amount of money that you have to spend. Uh, is critical. Uh, finding the right team, the, both the team that's on the ground working with you every single day is hard. Um, because in a, in a startup, and I, I do this in every interview, um, you're coming into a small biotech startup. You are now employee number four or five or maybe six, not 5,000. Exactly. Or 58,000. That's yeah. right. And there is no one to do the things that you don't want to do in your job. So I tell them, you know, I, I do everything. I will do everything. You may have to do everything that may include taking out the trash that, you know, may include making someone else's travel reservations. Maybe it's not in your job description, but if you want to work here, you have to be willing to be really good at what you do and also willing to help everyone else out when their, you know, when their workflow is, is overwhelming them, which is often in a, a startup company. Um, you know, I had some early hires that were mistakes. I wish 
that that's probably the biggest thing that I would say um, I'd like to kick out of the way. Can someone just send me the best people for the job? Yeah, but that's that that never happens. It never happens. Yeah. And so you just you uh, you know, I've worked with some uh, good uh, agencies to help find good employees. Um, I one of the uh, things I learned after a couple of hires was you really have to spend time with that agency and really help them understand what you're, yeah, what you're, what right. are, exactly. What is the culture that I need that person to thrive in? Um, so the people that you're hiring, are they, I mean, are they vets or are they, are they biotech scientists or are they, oh my gosh, they're all over the chemists board. or geneticists yeah. or, so, uh, some, several of my employees are microbiologists. Okay. They're qualified to do the manufacturing. Um, several of uh, my employees are um, in the uh, clinical research field. So they know how to run clinical trials. They know how to manage patients and, and hospitals through that process. Collecting the data on clinical trials is king. That's what it's all about. You're spending millions of dollars to run a clinical trial to get the data that you can then share with the marketplace and your regulator and your investors. So it's absolutely critical that you have the best people overseeing um, you How know, many that employees data. do you have? Oh, we're up to nine now. Nine. Okay. Yeah. So I, and I do I, have a veterinarian. So here's some interesting context. So my dad has a degree in microbiology. Wow. And yeah, he's a lawyer. Um, or was <laughs> makes yeah. total sense. Yeah, but <laughs> makes but, total sense. Yeah. But anyway, for his and he, I, he, this is you talk about like the difficulty and what these people do. So, uh, he went to the University of Notre Dame, and when for in order to get through whatever class that he needed to get through to get his degree, he had to take the ovaries out of a fruit fly and oh. place them into another one. I mean, that's microbiology. Yeah, that is right? literally microbiology. But like, think about that. Like a fruit fly. How do you even go about doing that? Like, <laughs> and then first off, half the ones you look at aren't even going to be a female. So it's like, I don't know. I yeah, mean, these guys do great work. I mean, that's, uh, that's crazy. Like, and so, and that was 40 years. So or your dad was checking ago. out fruit fly lady parts. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. He got a degree in it. I'm gonna have to ask him about that. Well, when you see him, yeah. say yeah, Tom. It might be a yeah, good podcast. Yeah, yeah. We should go ahead <laughs> and have. Weird. We should go ahead and have him, and we'll just call. We'll call it. We'll, yeah, we'll call it fruit fly, fruit fly lady parts, and uh, we'll ask him about the frustration. But you know, but you talk about that, and that's that requires a, a specific type of. So you ask him why? Why didn't you go into microbiology? Well, it's hard. It's frustrating. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, think about like the precision and just like, it requires a specific type of personality type. Absolutely. How be, do you cut those out with a knife? Dude, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? We're going to. But they, tra they train that. Um, you know, the university here in town, uh, University of Kansas has a great uh, biotechnology program. They turn out a lot of microbiologists that, um, you know, is a great access pool for us. Um, the other thing that's great in this region is the prep the prevalence of clinical trials organizations. Yes. And so I can um, access that talent pool as well. I just heard this morning um, that there's a, a, a new emphasis at one, at one of the universities here to focus on developing those clinical trial coordinators. Um, I worked at a company, I worked at a medical lab 
and and wrote software to do clinical trials. Ah, there you go. I you need did. some of that. Yeah, I did. Wow. That was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah we can talk after the show. Yeah, yeah no doubt. No doubt. That was a, a full-scale COO. We used to work for Lilly. And they, oh, did some, they did some stuff relative to that. And it was all about helping build stuff around data collection. Yep. And, yeah. you know, that was such an archaic process for a company so big. And they, you know, needed to revolutionize the way that they were collecting that. So what, uh, as we kind of uh, wrap up this episode, um, what do you think, what do you see in the future here? And, and how are things like, you know, I was reading an article the other day about artificial intelligence and being able to... Um, it, you know, some, they had, they had developed some technology that was able to listen to your heart mm. and, uh, based on specific things, it could match up with nearly hundred percent accuracy, potential issues that you were having. It was just able to, you know, there were just certain key factors in there. I mean, how do you see the, the world of, of software technology, bioscience or any of that? Like what's, what's, what are we likely to see coming down the pipeline in the next 10 years? Mm, in the, in the veterinary oncology sure. marketplace yeah, yeah, sure. specific to us, um, you know, immunotherapy, which is what our technology is, works best when you can have early detection mm -hmm. of disease. Um, and that was the point with the AI. It was yeah, able exactly. to like hear something about the yeah. electrical something. I don't know. So what, what the, there is a lot of work being done to focus on early diagnosis um, in dogs because it gives it, whatever the treatment option is, you have a better chance to achieve a cure if you can treat that disease early. Mm -hmm. So I, there are a lot of people working on diagnostics um, and all of that takes big data. Uh, there are a lot of people working on collecting the genetic information from dogs as well as from their cancers so that w they can start to look at correlations. And really, it's all about correlations. And that's where the artificial intelligence, right. I think, can can come into play. Just because, it, I mean, you mentioned big data. And when you look at the human genome or even a dog genome or, I mean, my God, that's actually like a really insane amount of information and data. Yeah. So is some of that already being used? And is that, is that I mean, is, is that a yeah, pathway that you may take or partner with someone? Or? Yeah, we, we definitely are always on the lookout for partnering opportunities. Um, we're, we're not a... IT company, sure. but uh, certainly there's a lot of IT in, in what we do today as well as what we will do in the future. Uh, so we are always looking at the possibility of partnering with other companies that have technologies that will be complementary to how our uh, patients are treated or that will be complementary to help diagnose that early. Uh, and, and then kind of back to the pet insurance industry, you know, we're looking at partnerships with the pet insurance industry because we think that, you know, people do want to treat their pets. Often they can't afford it. Sure. But if you can sort of build up that insurance policy over the lifetime of the pet, uh, so there's plenty of. Oh, I see. Like if you have the pet insurance for 10 years. And will, yeah, will pet okay. insurance pay for cancer treatment? It will pay for most pet insurance policies. We've I've looked at a okay. lot of them, and most well, they will probably cover wouldn't want to take it on after a year. But like you right, said, it, if it, you'd it, had it for a while, then sure, that well, would make more sense. Yeah, pre-existing conditions are are the same in right. uh, dog policies gotcha. as they are in human policies. So get, get the pet insurance. I, I mean, I would imagine that's key to your business's um, 
the dogs that have insurance are more likely to do this and the people have to pay out of pocket or much, much, much. You would think that, but, but we aren't seeing that yet. Um, it's, it's got to help your adoption though. Right. We do believe that, uh, long-term it will help the adoption rate. Um, right now we're just focused on making sure that, uh, we bring all of the veterinary specialty hospitals into our network so that they're trained and can offer the treatment. Uh, so there's about 300 hospitals that we're targeting here in the U S these are specialty hospitals. Um, so about 300 of those that we're targeting in the U S we have, uh, over 10% of them already on board and in the network. Um, so I think, I think that's the key question as we wrap this up is where, where is your, what stage are you at from a business perspective? So you've done these clinical trials. Are you in the stage now of going to market and training them and getting them? We are actually in the stage of going to market. We went to market in January. Okay. Uh, and we're pushing forward pretty aggressively uh, to expand access to the treatment. It, today, we are still, we're marketing under uh, a USDA experimental label. Okay. We're working very closely with the regulator to finish out all of the clinical trials that are necessary to remove that word experimental. So how many treatments are you doing a month then? Uh, we're right now uh, doing about five a month. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's slowly Ramping yeah, up over yeah. The next slowly year ramping too. up over the next year. Uh, we have pretty aggressive plans. Uh, it, I'm right in the midst of capital raise right now to make sure we can execute those plans. Good luck with that. Yep. So I'd like to do a follow up on this somewhere down the line and yeah. check back in. And you know, some of the um, different guests we've had. You know, we've been doing this for a while now. This we're pushing episode 200. I don't know if this will be before or after that. As of today's recording, we're on 180. Wow. Nice. I know. It's a lot. I can't believe that. I know. We should be better at this by now. Yeah. Well, if, only Ma- if only Matt was a better host. Yeah. Well, we host. got Voltron now. And it, you do dude, have you get, He didn't say much. No. He didn't say I'll tell you what. If anyone can cure anything, it might be Voltron. Yeah. He will take that sword out and he will whip your ass. <laughs> he really yeah. can. Now, I just feel like he's not contributing. And we're paying him a cut of the zero dollars mm-hmm. that we make from this. Wow. This is, prob- step up his game. this is probably the worst business model ever. We don't have any ads. We, but this podcast is brought to you by fullscale.io. It is. Yeah. And did you know that if you wanted to check us out on Instagram, you can go to at startup hustle podcast. Yes. And you can see pictures from today and you can see Lego Voltron. Um, also you can find today's episode and our talking heads on our YouTube channel, which is now has a couple hundred subscribers. Are we getting a lot of reviews? No, not really. <laughs> well, we need some more reviews, people. Yeah. So if you, if you could like, review, or subscribe to this podcast, and, you know, like I said, uh, we're still looking for some fan art of Matt yes, Watson. Please. Uh, oh, man. I didn't even, you know, yesterday we, we didn't just get free snow pops. We also, I'm going to save that for the next episode because, um, you know, we got, we got some free stuff from a band. That's pretty cool. Yeah. They like my book about the music industry, but they also listen to the podcast now. So kind of like that. And, uh, well, anyway, if you want to check out more about Elias Animal Health, and that's E-L-I-A-S, animalhealth.com. Tammy, I really love what you're doing. I think it's super cool. I am a dog person. Um, probably going to get another one here in the, in the spring when uh, my kids are now big enough to handle that. Excellent. And, and we did have a French bulldog that um, lives somewhere else now because it wouldn't stop biting my children when they were smaller. Yeah. 
That was a bummer. Yeah. yeah. The, we spoiled the dog, but you talk about like the dog's a member of the family. I mean, and that was literally the issue is Jill had spoiled the dog so much that when we had kids, dog wasn't having it. Wasn't the baby anymore. No, no. Oh, that's so, too bad. So anyway, once again, make sure you like review and subscribe to this episode. If you want to check out Elias health, go to eliasanimalhealth.com. Throw some support out there for the people that are doing stuff that matters. See you Thank next you. time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.